This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. We are going to turn to another topic, a very important topic that is a little bit complicated. So please bear with me, but I do want to hear from you on what you think about this happening. And it's about the logjam in our court system. It's about to get worse. And legal experts say the federal government is to blame. So this situation results from a change in the laws around jury selection. And the bottom line is that due to a ruling by the Ontario Court of Appeal on the federal changes, our courts may have to retry dozens of cases, including some for murder and sexual assault. We'll delve into the details with our guests, but in a nutshell, the new law removed the right of lawyers in a criminal case to reject a certain number of juries for, jurors for any reason at all. It took effect September 19th. The appeal court ruled that defendants who had asked for a jury trial before that date still had a right to those challenges. Those people did not get those challenges. So um, within hours of that ruling, judges here in Toronto Superior Court declared a mistrial in two cases, one dealing with murder, one with sexual assault. And it may also affect the conviction of that notorious College Street Bar sexual assault trial where the bar's owner and managers were both convicted. So let me give the numbers again. Uh, the bottom line on this is what I understand from legal experts is that the problem was that this law was poorly drafted by the federal government, uh, and it's likely to result in a big mess. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I would like to bring in criminal defense lawyers, Joseph Newberger and Chris Rudnicki. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure having me. Okay, let's start with you, Joseph. Um, how many trials, how many cases will have to be retried, do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, since uh, September 19th, there could be several hundred uh, just in the province, but across the country. Uh, I mean, you could be talking a, a very significant number of cases. In my office alone, we have two murder cases in which uh, they will get turned back for retrial as a result of uh, the Court of Appeals ruling. But more specifically, it was up to the government when they put into place this new legislation to have a transitional provision, which they failed to put into place. And that's why we're in this predicament. Okay, so in your office alone, two cases. Give me an idea of uh, the amount of, of time and court time and, and all of that that would be involved in a murder case. Well, I mean, uh, some are more complex than others, but this one was a very complex case, which spanned some two months. There was uh, hundreds of hours of preparation. That's a legal aid expense, which comes out of, uh, uh, you know, taxpayers' budget as well as uh, fees contributed by lawyers through the uh, law society. So you're talking a tremendous amount of expenditure just for defending the individual as well as the expenditure for prosecution, 
as well as the attorney general uh, as well, and just having the you know the infrastructure for a trial. So when you look at the magnitude of this issue, um, the province can be looking at millions of dollars of extra costs to fund retrials, uh, which could have been avoided. Um, and you're looking at significant time being set aside. The other issue to consider is um, if some of these cases are very close to the delay periods from that Supreme Court decision called Jordan, which set out very specific timelines, some cases may be getting very close to those uh, deadlines, and it's through no fault of an accused that the government drafted this legislation and did it the way they did. So you may see some cases not being retried, just simply being stayed as a result of delay timelines. That, in my opinion, is something that may happen, and we have other cases as well that are pretty close that we're going to have to have retrials on. So it's a massive expenditure for the province. It's a massive expenditure of human resources as well as the infrastructure that's in place now. Chris Rudnicki, what do you have in your office that may be headed for a retrial? Uh, so we also had a, uh, a murder case um, that was mistried uh, as a result. It was in the middle of evidence in front of the jury, and after this decision came down, um, the judge declared a mistrial, uh, and so basically a do-over. Uh, it ended up resolving for a lesser offense, um, but you know, like Joseph's office, you have at least one serious case uh, that you know sort of goes goes under as a result of this decision. And as you mentioned, uh, the decision. Uh, really turns on, you know, turning around all these trials, turns on Parliament's failure to include a transitional provision. Just a couple of lines in the legislation that said, hey, you know, this applies either retrospectively or prospectively. That may well have saved uh, all these trials and, and, uh, and prevented this from happening. A lot of people are blaming the federal government. Uh, I, I hear two strands with this. One, that this was something that then-Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould rushed through because the impetus uh, was uh, the fact that often Indigenous jurors are excluded in cases that involve Indigenous accused. Uh, number two, the other thing that I heard was just the drafting was bad because uh, the lawyers working for the government uh, have been hollowed out. Um, do you have a view on either of those things? Chris? Well, so, so I, I, um, I can't really speak to, the, uh, to, to whether or not the lawyers have been hollowed out. It definitely felt like the changes to the peremptory challenge legislation came as a direct response to the verdict in the trial of Gerald Stanley, who was uh, acquitted of, of murdering Colton Bushy on his the indigenous man, the young indigenous man, Colton Bushy on his property. Um, but uh, it, it seems to me that it was definitely a knee-jerk reaction. Peremptory challenges were most often, in my experience, used by defense lawyers on behalf of racialized or indigenous accused to make sure that the jury was, in fact, more representative rather than less. Um, so getting rid of them might, it doesn't necessarily mean that that goal of having a representative jury is going to be achieved. And, and yeah, I, I think there really, there really was concern about uh, the quality of, of Bill C-75 and the changes to the, the, the jury challenge, the jury composition rules, and changes to a lot of other procedural protections for accused persons in this country. Joseph Newberger, and nobody saw this before this it, it turned into this? No, no, we saw it. It's just the government <laughs> didn't care. I mean, I agree did with you, everything did, Chris says. But did you, sorry, you saw it. Did you point it out to the government before it came to this? 
Well, I mean, there were there were committees, and and many uh, criminal lawyers uh, testified in those committees. I was out publicly writing and speaking against this legislation the minute they announced it. The you know, I agree with what Chris says. I'll go a step further. This was in direct response to that case in Saskatchewan. It was uh, an a an appalling situation where both the prime minister and the then justice minister chastised the jury's verdict and decided to get rid of preemptory challenges, which will absolutely do nothing to increase to increase inclusiveness of indigenous uh, members of juries. Uh, that that's just not the case. What it will do uh, is harm being able to find an unbiased jury. Um, this is a preemptory challenges the crown and defense has had. It's been in trying in the criminal code for over 150 years. It's been in our system of justice for much longer. And uh, it was a complete fallacy that uh, Justice uh, Wilson-Raybould then acted on. And we saw it. We commented on it. They don't care. Much like other ridiculous changes that the Trudeau government did, uh, Chris, uh, you know, gently mentioned the other change, which was eliminating uh, preliminary hearings for cases that are 14 years and under, because what they want to do is uh, not re-victimize victims, which means for me it's a presumption of guilt. This was a very important mechanism we had in place. The Court of Appeal real, uh, ruled recently that you are entitled to a prelim if you were in the system and had elected. I mean, there's just countless examples of the new legislation that's come in, which is wreaking havoc with the justice system right now, including Bill C-51 regarding the amendments to the rape shield provision. So uh, I, 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 in 27 years of practice, I haven't seen a government act so um, proactively to interfere with our justice system. You know, much could be said about the conservative policies on sentencing, but eliminating uh, procedural uh, and really uh, substantive safeguards that were in place for people uh, who are accused of offenses to me was astonishing. And so sadly, we did see this. I don't know, there wasn't one criminal lawyer not warning about the impact of this, but the government just doesn't care. And they were very short-sighted because they're pandering the particular votes that they want so that they could get reelected. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. We now have a different justice minister, David Lametti. Is there anything at this point can, that can be done to remedy this if they uh, felt like it? I'd eat my robes if the new uh, justice <laughs> minister would uh, walk the legislation back in any way. I think they're going to just have to sit with it. The courts will sift it out. My disappointment is the preemptory challenges, the elimination of it, uh, I have great respect for the panel of the Court of Appeal, but they ruled that the legislation was constitutional. Hopefully that'll go one step higher. I think preemptory challenges were extremely important to defense lawyers and Crown attorneys, and I'm sorry to see it go. Uh, but you know, we'll see what happens after that. And I think I'll just turn it over to you and Chris, who will ably discuss the topic, because I have to run right now. But thank you very much for having me on the show. Okay, Joseph, thanks for that. Be well, guys. Take Uh, care. Okay, I'm talking to defense lawyer Chris Rudnicki from Rissonik, O'Connor, Robbins, Ross, Gorham, and Angelini. Wow, that's quite the firm name, Chris. (laughs) I hope I, I got them all right. Now, my understanding is that the court system, there's a lockjam there anyway. How how much is this going to delay things? I think it's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, so the Superior Court of Justice just released the numbers uh, for the number of trials they think are going to get turned around as a result of this, and it looks like 35 trials are going to get turned around. Um, we're talking about a perfect storm here. You've got 35 new jury trials that are going to have to get into the system. You're talking about the elimination of preliminary inquiries, which uh, Joseph spoke about at length before the break, and which means that a lot of cases that would have taken some time to come up through 
the lower courts before they got to the superior court, they're going to just show up uh, all of a sudden. And we're talking about a significant chunk of cases that are now going to be going upstairs uh, at the same time as this uh, 35 uh, cases are going to go into the system. And because of Doug Ford's uh, legal aid cuts, we're looking at a huge new number of self-represented accused uh, that take a lot more time and resources in both the lower and superior courts uh, to try. And so those factors are all going to come together and really cause significant delays. There also have been some some delays both on the federal side and the provincial side in getting judges appointed. So all this to say, I think you're going to see a lot of cases taking much longer than the 30 months they get uh, to go to trial. And if that happens, then you're going to see stays of proceedings in serious cases, sometimes even homicide. It was, that means the cases will be dismissed because people aren't getting their trial, or they aren't getting a fair trial in a reasonable amount of time. Right. So Section 11B of our Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, guarantees every person the right to trial within a reasonable time to, to a speedy trial. And our Supreme Court, in that Jordan decision we referenced before the break, said in the Superior Court, you get 30 months, uh, two and a half years, from the date you're charged to the date your verdict is rendered uh, to see the case done on time. And if it's not done on time, then it gets tossed out. Mm-hmm. Is there any way of overturning that? Uh, the Jordan decision, I, I actually don't think it's going to get revisited. Um, there are some exceptions for uh, the 30-month uh, uh, timeline. I mean, if there's if there's exceptional circumstances that come into uh, into play, so stuff that's completely outside of the control of the Crown Attorney, or if the defense appears to be dragging its heels deliberately, then you're not going to be able to avail yourself of the uh, right to a speedy trial. Um, but generally speaking, I think that that is pretty set in stone. You know, a year after Jordan came out, there was another decision called Cody from our Supreme Court, where they basically said, we meant it. You know, 30 months is 30 months, and you get, better get it done on time. Uh, and, and so the onus is now on the government to hire enough prosecutors to build enough courthouses and to have enough judges so that they can make sure that these cases get tried. And it, like I say, it's really bad timing for 35 new cases to be in the system, along with eliminating preliminary inquiries and along with the legal aid cuts. Wow. Uh, and uh, do you see any solution aside from uh, the government coming up with the money and building courthouses? Well, a lot of us um, thought there was a simple solution um, for the Attorney General of Ontario to decide to allow accused persons, because they, they, they could have done this. They could have said, you know, we know that the, the federal government passed this law that's taking away these peremptory challenges. But we're going to let everyone who got charged before the day the law came into effect, which is September 19th of, of 2019, to still have the peremptories. You know, you guys can keep your peremptories in any case that starts now. After the 19th, you guys won't. If they had done that, if the, if the AG of Ontario had set that and taken that position, then we wouldn't have this problem. Chohan wouldn't have caused the issue that it had. The problem was that the AG took this extremely unreasonable position. And so that's coming, you know, from the, the office in downtown Toronto and uh, Doug Downey's office, who's the AG. And I know crowns, you know, crown attorneys who are sort of on the ground prosecuting these cases, who were, you know, pretty angry at having been given these marching orders because they thought, you know, here I am litigating this jury trial. I think that the court of appeal is probably going to turn it around. What's even the point? And then I know crown attorneys who get their conviction. You know, they, they the accused is convicted in November or December. And then in January, this case comes down, and now they're thinking, okay, i got to do this case all over again. So there was a simple fix, and uh, the AG of Ontario declined to uh, follow it. Okay, I'm going to take a quick call from Sandra in Toronto. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. That's good. 
a real quick um, observation and a comment, actually. I just want to compare the Rodney King trials, I mean, the, Rod- the Rodney King trials, actually. Two of the uh, officers were let go because of overrepresentation of, you know, mainstream uh, people in the jury. That's the whole reason for the riots. Now, I'm tying that in with the in- overrepresentation of Indigenous people. Uh, that the staff that just recently came out, and there is no indigenous representation in most juries. I mean, you, somebody there mentioned the Col- Colton Bushy uh, yep. case. I mean, uh, when you look at both both of those scenarios, I mean, uh, apples. To, it's not apples to oranges. It's apples and apples. It's the same scenario. I mean, something does have to be done. I'm glad the. Uh, the new law came into effect for, you know, uh, fair and equal representation. So that was well, my comment and observation. Okay. Well, well, our, one of our, uh, lawyers here was arguing that it, that this will not lead to that, but I'm going to let Chris Rudnicki respond to what you said. Okay, Sandra, we don't have much time left. So, um, just listen for the response. No, it's, it's a very good comment yeah. that we don't have good representation either of racialized persons, the black folks typically or Indigenous people on our juries. That doesn't exist right now. One thing that's happened to change that is they've moved over the jury role selection from property records to OHIP records, so it's going to be more representative of the actual public. Um, the parliament needs to step in. Someone needs to make a law that says juries have to be truly reflective of who the accused person is. It has to be a jury of your peers. And until parliament says that juries have to be representative, our courts have said, well, as long as it's random and as long as the jury role is random, it's okay. Uh, and now without peremptory challenges, you know, defense lawyers have no tools to make sure that uh, juries look representative. So uh, it's my position that someone needs to step in and make a difference here. Okay. Uh, what would you like to leave us with on this, Chris? What can we expect? I think you're, the logjam is, is going to continue so long as um, the legal aid cuts continue and there's no investment. The, the unfortunate reality is that if you want to prosecute crime, if you want people to be uh, effectively represented, and if you want juries to look uh, like the people that are in the acute box, it costs money. Uh, and so it's going to take increased investment from both the provincial government and the federal government in building courthouses, hiring judges, hiring crime attorneys, and making sure that there's enough funding so that accused persons have a fair trial with a good defense lawyer. Mm-hmm. And in this, uh, in the, I guess you're going to be busy, is the bottom line. <laughs> I sure will. I sure will. Okay. Thank Cr- you for that. Chris Rudnicki, thank you very much for that. Bye now. Bye-bye. Okay, people. Uh, Free for All Friday is coming up. If we could not get to your calls, there's been a lot to talk about this week. And right now, that's all the time we have today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.